Welcome to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. Today's program is a follow-up to our newsletter topic on the current state of CFTR modifiers. Our guest today is E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Program Director, Dr. Noah Lexon, Director of the Adult Cystic Fibrosis Program and Associate Professor of Medicine at the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is jointly presented by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by educational grants from KSE USA Incorporated, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Gilead Sciences. Learning objectives for this audio program are that after participating in this activity, the participant will demonstrate the ability to explain the long-term benefits of Ivacaftor therapy in people with G551D CFTR mutations, describe the effects of Ivacaftor therapy in people with non-G551D CFTR mutations, Evaluate the impact of the combination of Ivacaftor plus Lumacaftor in people with two F508-DAL CFTR mutations, and describe the current research into therapeutic options for people with CFTR class 1, also known as nonsense or missense mutations. Dr. Lexon has reported that he has served as a principal investigator for Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated. In addition, he has served as a consultant for Hillrom. He has disclosed that his discussion today will reference certain off-label or unapproved uses of Lumacaftor, Ivacaftor, and Adalurin. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. Dr. Lexon, welcome to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. The recent newsletter by Dr. Peter McGazel reviewed studies describing the current research into CFTR modifier therapies and how they increased the clinician's ability to go beyond treating the symptoms of cystic fibrosis and actually correct the underlying cause of the disease. Our focus today is on how some of that new information can be applied in the clinic. Uh, So start us out, if you would, please, doctor, with a patient description. Sure. I'd like to tell you about a patient of mine, TM, who's a 27-year-old gentleman with cystic fibrosis whose genotype is F508-DEL slash G551-D. He's pancreatic insufficient, has chronic sinus disease, and has chronic pulmonary infections with both Pseudomonas aeruginosa and methicillin-resistant staph. Throughout adolescence and into early adulthood, his daily therapy has included airway clearance with high-frequency chest oscillation vest twice a day, Dornase Alpha nebulizer daily, azithromycin three days per week, and aerosolized tobramycin twice a day on alternating months. His lung function was approximately 90% predicted, and he attended college. However, in his senior year of college, he started to run into problems. His FEV1 fell to 66% predicted, and he began to have more cough, sputum production, dyspnea, weight loss, and fatigue. We added hypertonic saline and as trianam nebulizer treatments, and he was also treated with courses of both oral antibiotics and IV antibiotics, but did not improve dramatically. An airway clearance regimen, chronic macrolide therapy, inhaled anti-pseudomonal antibiotics. Doctor, it sounds like you've tried just about everything with this patient without a lot of success. Yes, he was having progressive loss of lung functioning and worsening symptoms in spite of very aggressive care. He was becoming frustrated, as was the CF team. And up until fairly recently, there really wouldn't have been other options. Fortunately, he has the G551D mutation, which is a gating mutation. This is the first group of patients for which Ivacaftor was approved. This has really been a breakthrough therapy and is the first therapy that really addresses the underlying problem in cystic fibrosis, that is, a defective chloride channel. Based on a randomized clinical trial, which was published by Ramsey et al. in the New England Journal in 2011, we would expect to see an improvement in FEV1 of over 10% at 24 weeks, a decrease in exacerbations by up to 55%, an increase in weight 
by approximately two and a half kilograms and an improvement in respiratory symptoms. Would these effects sustain over time? What does the evidence show? That's a great question. As I said, the introduction of Ivacaftor was a real breakthrough, but the initial clinical trial only followed people up to 24 weeks. Based on results of more recent publications, such as the PERSIST study, which is published by McCone and colleagues in 2014, the beneficial effects of Ivacaftor were maintained up to 144 weeks after starting treatment. In that study, FEV1 improved by approximately 10%, weight improved by approximately 14.8 kilograms and 4.1 kilograms in adult and children, respectively. And again, this was maintained up to 144 weeks. This was one of the studies reviewed in the newsletter. Of the patient you presented us, what did you do for him and how did he respond? This is one of our early feel-good stories with Ivacaftor. So we initiated Ivacaftor in this patient, and his lung function increased from 65% predicted to over 90% predicted. His weight increased by 13 kilograms, his respiratory symptoms improved, and he has really gone several years without a pulmonary exacerbation requiring IV antibiotics. Furthermore, he's gone on to graduate from college. He's now working full-time and exercising regularly. He's happy, and we're happy. Uh, just to clarify, doctor, the only change in his treatment was the addition of Ivacaftor. There were no changes in his airway clearance regimen or antimicrobial medications. Is that correct? That's correct. The only change we made to his regimen was adding Ivacaftor. Thank you for that case and discussion, Dr. Lexon. Uh, now, if you would please, bring us another patient scenario. So another patient is CS, who is a patient with cystic fibrosis, genotype F508-DEL-R117H, who has a lifelong history of sinopulmonary infections, but wasn't diagnosed with cystic fibrosis until his 60s. This occurred after his sister was found to have cystic fibrosis. His sweat chloride was 76, and his usual FEV1 has been approximately 75% predicted. In general, he required treatment with antibiotics for increased pulmonary symptoms several times per year, and his usual therapies included azithromycin, Dornase nebulizer, bronchodilators, and airway clearance with the acapella PEP device. F508-DEL and R117H CFTR mutations. Would this patient be an appropriate candidate for CFTR modulator therapy? Yes. So Ivacaftor was not initially approved for patients with the R117H mutation. The conduct study, which was published by Moss et al. in 2015, showed a significant benefit in patients with this mutation. The effect on lung function wasn't significant in children aged 6 to 11, but in patients 18 and older, there was a 5% increase in FEV1, which was significant in patients with the R117H mutation. There were also improvements in the respiratory subscale of CFQR and lower sweat chloride. This patient had the R117H mutation, which made him a candidate for CFTR therapy, but it's also worth considering another study recently published by DeBeck et al., which evaluated the effect of Ivacaftor in non-G551D gating mutations. And in that study, it showed that Ivacaftor resulted in improvements in FEV1 of approximately 10% at the eight-week follow-up. In that study, BMI also improved by 0.7 kilograms per meter squared after eight weeks of treatment. In these patients who are candidates for Ivacaftor therapy, are there any drug-drug interactions that clinicians should worry about? Yes. Clinicians prescribing Ivacaftor need to realize that it's metabolized in the liver by the cytochrome P3A system. Drugs that inhibit CYP3A, such as azole antifungals, require decreases in dose of Ivacaftor. For strong inhibitors, such as ketoconazole, itraconazole, posaconazole, oraconazole, tolithromycin, and clarithromycin, the dose should be decreased 
150 milligrams twice per week. Moderate CYP3A inhibitors, such as fluconazole and erythromycin, the dose should be decreased to 150 milligrams per day. On the other side, inducers of CYP3A, such as rifampin, phenobarbital, and phenytoin, are not recommended in conjunction with ivacaftor. Therefore, if a patient requires these drugs, ivacaftor should be held. It's worth noting that many of these medications, such as the azole antifungals and rifampin, are commonly used in cystic fibrosis. The patient you presented, did you start him on ivacaftor, and what were the results? Yes, we chose to start him on ivacaftor given his frequent symptoms and impaired lung function. And he's tolerated ivacaftor quite well without any difficulties. He's really had no adverse events. And his lung function is now consistently around 90% predicted, whereas it had been around 75% predicted before starting ivacaftor. And we'll return with Dr. Noah Lexon from Johns Hopkins in just a moment. Hello, I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is a combination newsletter and podcast program delivered via email to subscribers. Newsletters are published every other month. Each issue reviews the current literature in areas of importance to pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, infectious disease specialists, pediatricians, respiratory therapists, dietitians, nutritionists, nurses, and physical therapists. Bi-monthly podcasts are also available as downloadable transcripts, providing case-based scenarios to help bring that new clinical information into practice in the clinic. Subscription to E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is provided without charge or prerequisite. Continuing education credit for each issue and each podcast is provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. For more information on this educational activity, to subscribe to and receive E-Cystic Fibrosis Review without charge, and to access back issues, please go to our website, www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org. Welcome back to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of the program. We've been talking with E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Program Director, Dr. Noah Lexon from the Johns Hopkins University, about how recent research into CFTR modification can be applied in the clinic to improve patient outcomes. Uh, so if you would, doctor, let's continue with another patient. So the third patient that I'm going to describe is MM. He is a 21-year-old with cystic fibrosis, genotype F508-DEL, F508-DEL, and he was diagnosed as an infant due to failure to thrive. He had recurrent pulmonary infections and sinus infections as a child and required sinus surgeries throughout childhood. His course was complicated by malnutrition and required a gastrostomy tube as an adolescent. He transitioned to our adult CF program at age 19. At that point, his FEV1 was 75% predicted and he weighed 157 pounds, which translates to a BMI of 20. He was attending college full-time, but required hospitalization for intravenous antibiotics about once a year. His therapies included airway clearance with high-frequency oscillating vest, inhaled tobramycin, dornase alpha nebs, hypertonic saline nebs, azithromycin, and pancreatic enzymes. Homozygous genotype F508-DEL. Is this a patient who would benefit from ivacaftor therapy? No, in this case, ivacaftor alone would not be indicated. Ivacaftor has been shown to not benefit patients who are homozygous for the F508-DEL mutation, and it's not approved for this group. However, ivacaftor, when combined with lumacaftor, was approved in July of 2015 for patients homozygous for F508-DEL. This was based on the results from two phase three randomized clinical trials. These two separate randomized trials both showed an improvement in FEV1 of approximately 3% and importantly, showed a approximately 30% reduction in pulmonary exacerbations. 
What about tolerability? The Ivacaftor Lumacaftor combination, is it well tolerated? Yes. In the two phase three clinical trials, the rate of serious adverse events was 29% in the placebo group compared to 20% in the Ivacaftor Lumacaftor group. Approximately 4% of patients stopped therapy in the Ivacaftor Lumacaftor group compared to 1.6% in the placebo group. The most common non serious adverse events in the Ivacaftor Lumacaftor arm were respiratory in nature and commonly included some shortness of breath and chest tightness. And your patient's response to the Ivacaftor-Lumacaftor combination? My patient that I described has tolerated it quite well, and his FEV1 is now consistently around 83%, and his body mass index has improved to 22. Well, thank you for that case and discussion, doctor. We've got time for one more case, so if you would, please. I'd be glad to tell you about another case. ZO is a 47-year-old woman with cystic fibrosis. Her genotype is F508-DEL-W1282X, and she has a baseline FEV1 of 65%. Her symptoms include chronic cough, sputum, and dyspnea, in spite of really aggressive care, which includes high-frequency oscillating vest, Dornase alpha nebs, hypertonic saline, azithromycin, and tobramycin nebs. She exercises regularly and struggles to maintain her weight. In general, her weight is 92 pounds and her BMI is 17.5. She has had exacerbations requiring intravenous antibiotics at least once a year, and she's been quite frustrated that in spite of her best effort, she continues to have problems and decline. I think every clinician and every patient can completely understand her frustration. So is this patient a candidate for Ivacaftor therapy or Ivacaftor plus Lumacaftor? No, because she has what's called a class 1 mutation, W1282X, she isn't a candidate for Ivacaftor or the combination of Ivacaftor and Lumacaftor. In this type of mutation, a stop has been inserted into the DNA coding region, and therefore no CFTR protein is made, and there is no target for drugs like Ivacaftor and Lumacaftor to act on. What can you tell us about the current research being done to help patients with these class 1 mutations? There have been studies of small molecules that may address these types of mutations. One such drug under investigation is Adalorin which is designed to allow ribosomes to read through premature stop codons in class 1 mutations. One such study was published by Karam and colleagues. It's a phase 3 trial of 238 patients enrolled at 36 different sites in 11 countries. It enrolled patients 6 and older who had FEV1s between 40 and 90% predicted. They were treated with adalorin by mouth three times per day or placebo. The FEV1 did not differ significantly between the two treatment groups at the end of the trial. And in addition, the frequency of pulmonary exacerbations did not differ. However, a post hoc analysis of a subgroup of patients who didn't use chronic inhaled tobramycin showed a significant difference between FEV1 and the adalorin group compared to placebo. In this subgroup, there was a 5.5% difference in relative percent predicted FEV1, and there were fewer exacerbations in the adalorin-treated group. At this time, adalorin is still considered investigational and is not currently approved. That subgroup analysis, it found that patients with class 1 CFTR mutations not on inhaled tobramycin did receive some benefit from adalorin therapy. Did the investigators come to any conclusions, or, or did they speculate about why there was that 5.5% improvement in FEV1? One explanation for the findings in this trial is that tobramycin, which is an inhaled antibiotic, binds to bacterial ribosomes, which interferes with the adalorin at a cellular level. This seems to be a plausible explanation for the results and has led to the initiation of a second phase three trial studying adalorin in patients who are not receiving inhaled tobramycin. Thank you for today's discussion, Dr. Lexon. I'd like to ask you to shift gears for us now and look to the future. 
overview for us, if you would, some of the new cystic fibrosis therapies that are currently in development. Current potentiators and correctors have been very exciting and are extremely helpful for some of our patients with cystic fibrosis, but there are still many patients who are not benefiting from these therapies. It is an exciting time for drug development and clinical trials for CF, and there are more drugs moving into phase two and three clinical trials in the next year than ever before. We need treatments for patients with class one, otherwise known as nonsense or missense mutations, such as W1282X. We also need treatments for patients with only one copy of F508 DEL. Furthermore, we need more potent therapy for patients with F508 DEL and therapy with fewer drug interactions. Currently, there are drugs under investigation that are also targeting other mechanisms. One such mechanism is known as ENAC or the epithelium sodium channel. This is a sodium channel that is regulated in part by CFTR. There is currently an ongoing trial of an inhaled agent that inhibits ENAC, and there are others under development. Gene therapy generated lots of excitement in the 1990s after the CFTR gene was discovered, and there was hope that a cure for cystic fibrosis was just around the corner. Unfortunately, early trials of gene therapy were largely unsuccessful. Nevertheless, there are studies of gene therapy still underway, and it shouldn't be written off as a potential area for treating cystic fibrosis. One benefit to gene therapy is that it would not be genotype-specific. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts, Doctor. Let's wrap things up by reviewing our discussion today in light of our learning objectives. So to begin, the long-term benefits of Ivacaftor therapy in people with G551D CFTR mutations. In case one, I reviewed some of the recent data on sustained effects of Ivacaftor. There are two recent studies that showed Ivacaftor has sustained benefits beyond the 12-month initial clinical trials. In the PERSIST trial, which included almost 200 patients, FEV1 was maintained by 9 to 10% above baseline for more than two years, and weight and BMI were also maintained. Another study using the CF registry showed that when compared to matched patients who were homozygous for F508-DEL, patients with G551-D who were on Ivacaftor had a 10% difference in FEV1 decline, which was sustained over three years. They also had improvements in weight, which were maintained over that time period. And our second learning objective, the effects of Ivacaftor therapy in people with non-G551-D CFTR mutations. In case two, I discussed the use of Ivacaftor in a patient with the R117H mutation and reviewed the recent literature on the effects of Ivacaftor in this population. Ivacaftor resulted in an approximately 5% improvement in FEV1 for patients 18 and older and also resulted in improvements in respiratory symptoms as measured by the CFQR and also resulted in a reduced sweat chloride. In patients with other non-G551D gating mutations, a short-term study of eight weeks showed a 10% improvement in FEV1 and a 0.7 improvement in BMI. And our third learning objective, the impact of the combination of Ivacaftor plus Lumacaftor in people with two F508-DEL CFTR mutations. Case three describes a patient that started Lumacaftor, Ivacaftor, and describes the results of recent clinical trials of Ivacaftor and Lumacaftor for patients with two copies of F508-DEL CFTR mutations. Lumacaftor and Ivacaftor combined is effective for this population. In clinical trials, it resulted in greater than a 30% reduction in acute exacerbations and a 3 to 4% improvement in lung function. Additionally, the combination of Lumacaftor and Ivacaftor was well tolerated and had fewer serious adverse events than the placebo arm. And finally, the current research into therapeutic options for people with CFTR class 1, also known as nonsense or missense mutations. These patients have a severe mutation in which no CFTR is made, and potentiators and correctors really don't have a role. 
However, there are small molecules that allow CFTR to be made in the cell nucleus, which are currently under investigation and are beginning to show some promise. Dr. Noah Lexen from the Johns Hopkins University, thank you for participating in this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. You're very welcome. It's been my pleasure speaking to you today. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org forward slash test. This podcast is presented in conjunction with the E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Newsletter, a peer-reviewed literature review certified for CME CE credit, emailed monthly to clinicians treating patients with cystic fibrosis. This activity has been developed for the CF care team, including pulmonologists, pediatric pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, pediatricians, infectious disease specialists, respiratory therapists, dietitians, nutritionists, pharmacists, nurses and nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and others involved in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. There are no fees or prerequisites for this activity. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the essential areas and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education through the joint sponsorship of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. The Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing is accredited as a provider of continuing nursing education by the American Nurses Credentialing Center's Commission on Accreditation. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hour. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register to receive E-Cystic Fibrosis Review via email, please go to our website, www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the names of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information for specific drugs, combinations of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indication, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Kiesi USA Incorporated. This program is copyright with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing.